There is a story in Scripture that really can be captured on film or in a Netflix series. It's a compelling story. It's about King David. Let me explain here a bit. King David, you probably have heard of David as the young man who defeated the giant whose name was Goliath. Well, David is an epic personality in Scripture. David was the man who conquered the city of Jerusalem before it was Jerusalem. It was David who named it Jerusalem, conquered it from the Jebusites. David conquered Jerusalem, became the most famous king in all of Israel's history. He likewise brought in the Ark of the Covenant, which is the glory of God in a box. And he actually laid out the plans to build the temple. It was his son Solomon who completed the task and inaugurated the temple. But it was David's idea. God gave it to David. David is the most famous king in all of Israel. Matter of fact, when they would shout about Jesus, they would say, Son of David, have mercy on me. So David was epic. David, right in his reign, he's already king of Israel for certain years. David has this moment of Zen, this epiphany. He has this little moment where he goes, you know what? I want to know whether or not there's anyone alive from King Saul's family. Now, who is Saul? Saul was the first king of Israel, the first king. Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan was David's BFF. The first BFF hashtag, David and Jonathan. They took selfies together. They would go to Starbucks run together. They would do everything together. I mean, these guys were tight. David and Jonathan. The Bible would even say that Jonathan loved David more in a way that was extraordinary, exceptional. These guys were tight. So Saul, when David was younger, David would play the harp for King Saul. Demons would flee. Then Saul, seeing David becoming famous, knocked down a giant. He anointed to be king. Saul was not privy to that completely. But he saw the favor of God upon him. That he knew. Saul became jealous. And I mean jealous. So jealous he tried to kill King David. But David's best friend was Saul's son, Jonathan. See, it's a soap opera, I'm telling you. This could be a movie. So all of a sudden, if you don't know the story, King Saul, full of jealousy, not a good spirit, Jonathan, who is beautiful, they went into battle, fighting the enemies of Israel. And because the favor of God was not on King Saul because of his disobedience, and the wrong spirit in him, jealousy, hatred, animosity. Because of that, Saul died, but so did Jonathan. That's how David inevitably became king. So David is now king for many years. And all of a sudden, David says, I want to know if there's anyone alive from Saul's family, from Jonathan's family. Is there anyone alive? Second Samuel chapter 9. One day, David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness, mercy, for Jonathan's sake, my BFF. That's crazy. He's looking to just show favor. Yes, there was. Jonathan had a son. His name, what's most people said. Try to say that fast. Do it a lot. And if you've never been in a charismatic Pentecostal circle, people may think you're speaking. All right. His name was Mephibosheth. Oh, you know his name. Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. 
So he says, I want him to come here. The Bible says, he said, tell him to come here. When he came to David, verse 6, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. This was an act of recognition, an act of praise to the king. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. I'm your servant. That's crazy. He's the king. He goes, I'm your servant. Imagine if we will all behave like that. David had the authority and said, I am your servant. Don't be afraid. I intend to show you kindness to you because of my promise to your father. Because of what I promised my best friend, Jonathan. And I'm going to give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. You don't deserve it, by the way, because your grandfather tried to kill me. Your grandfather hated me. If I were doing what other kings would do around me, I would make sure you would be dead. Because technically speaking, according to Pastor Angelina Ray, you, said, could make a legal claim to the throne because you carry the blood of the previous king. So I should kill you, but instead of killing you, I'm going to give you the land that belonged to your grandfather. I'm going to give you something that you do not deserve. That's called grace. Ooh, you're going to get this in a second. And you will, by the way, in addition to that, verse 7, from now on, you're going to eat here with me at the king's table. All right. So I just briefly, if we have to title this, which we will, let's title this message, My Father's Promise. I am my father's child. My father's promise. Look at your neighbor, tell him, my father's promise. And then tell your other neighbor, tell him, I am my father's child. So it's, I am my father's child because it's in the blood. Let me explain. Mephibo said, the day, the day that Jonathan and Saul, when his father and grandfather are fighting and they die, they die together. On the same day they die, what happens? There's news. Somebody gets a text message. There's a posting on Facebook. And the nurse taking care of the little toddler named Mephibo said he was a little baby. The nurse gets the message, hey, take care of the next one. They may be coming after him. Because if they both died, the next one to the throne would be that little kid. So back in the day, if you watch Game of Thrones, they would kill that king the descendant of the king, and the bloodline to make sure never in the future can someone make a claim on the throne. Game of Thrones 101. It started back here in the Old Testament. So all, so all of a sudden, the nurse gets the call. You got to take care of that kid. So the nurse says, I'm going to pick you up and hide you because if they find you, they're going to kill you next. Even though you're a little baby kid, a toddler. So she, she picks up the toddler. The Bible says, and I'm going to give you two versions, because it's about language. It's about Hebrew exegetical extrapolation, the way that they translate it. One version says that the nurse was carrying the baby, the toddler, and she, she let him fall. Another version says that the baby somehow fell off. However it, it happened, we know this. The baby or the toddler did fall, and he ended up paralyzed from the ankles down. So from a logical, physiological perspective, there must have been something in the spinal column or the vertebrae. So it wasn't just a little trip. He must have fallen, injured his spinal column or his vertebrae, where he ended up paralyzed from here down. So Mephibosheth is a crippled, 
a lame man now. He's poor. He's no longer in Jerusalem. He has no money. He's dependent on other people and he's crippled. Watch this. He's crippled and he's broken. And David says, is there anyone alive? And then they tell him, yeah, there's someone alive. His name is Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth and David says, tell him to come here. All of a sudden, my, put this in perspective, Mephibosheth is poor. He's crippled. He's lame. He, I mean, he can't walk right. And, and, he, and he has no property. But yet there's one thing he did have. He had the bloodline of a king. I'm going to say that one more time. He had all these things against him, but he had one thing in his favor. He was the grandson of the king of Israel. In his blood was royalty. I want to speak to everyone right here, right now that may be broken. You may be lame. You may be crippled. You may be suffering. You may not have everything in the bank account. You may not have all your I's dotted and all your T's crossed. But I'm here to tell you that if Jesus is Lord of your life, if Christ is your Savior, I'm going to say this one more time. Romans 8.15 says he adopted us. We are now adopted. We are his sons and daughters. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 and 10 says this. Through the blood of Jesus we have been purchased as his own. To be what? Verse 10 says to be kings and priests. Let me put it in other words. Right now the blood of Jesus is upon you. What does that mean? I don't care if you're crippled, if you're lame, if you're broken. If you don't have money in your bank account. If they fire you from your job, if you're going through a divorce, if you're fighting off an infirmity, I want you to put a smile on your face because the blood, the blood, the number one thing you have is not your bank account. It's the blood of Jesus that covers you. The number one thing you have is not your family line. It's the blood of Jesus that covers you. I wish we had people that understood that the number one thing you have is the blood of Jesus all over your life. Is there anyone here under the blood of the Lamb? It's the bloodline, man. Your number one identifying moniker is the blood. Your greatest asset is the blood of Jesus. Oh, man. I, I didn't want to preach this hard on Father's Day. But I want to remind you, the number one asset you have is the blood. The blood is greater than the paralysis. The blood is greater than the bank account. The blood is greater than your circumstances. The blood is greater than anything you're going through. The blood is greater. Once you have the blood, they can't take away eternal life from you. Once you, I'm pre Once you have the blood, they can't take away heaven from you. Once you have the blood, they can't take salvation and deliverance and promises from you. It's the blood. When I was growing up, they would preach about the blood, not just on Easter. Now we limit the blood to Good Friday. And the majority of churches don't even have Good Friday services. So we skip the blood and go into the resurrection. But I remember growing up, and, at, I mean, and, and all the time, there will be a sermon on the blood. There will be a sermon. We need to recapture the blood of Jesus. What does that mean? We need some fathers that will go back home after this service and right as you...
We need some dads. As you go back home today, I promise you, before you step into the doorpost, I dare you to say, my house is under the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. My family is covered by the blood. I'm prophesying now. My children and my children's children are under the blood of Jesus. It's the blood. Somebody shout, it's in the blood. It's in the blood. Good luck in trying to see the devil break through the blood. Good luck in trying to see hell break through the blood. The number one asset in your life is the blood of Christ upon you. You've been purchased by the vicarious atoning blood of Christ. My God, it's in the blood. Somebody say it's in the blood. So, I don't care who dropped you along the way. Stop, because we all get dropped. We've all been dropped. That woman was carrying, if he fell off himself or she dropped him, it doesn't matter. He fell and ended up jacked up. We've all been dropped. Emotionally, spiritually, relationally, financially. And by the way, the Bible says we're crippled by a number of things. We're crippled by sin, Matthew 9, 2. We're crippled by failure, Hebrews 12, 12. By fear, 1 John 4, 18. By doubt, doubt cripples us. James 1, 6, we're crippled by the past, Acts 3, 2. But that's not what defines us. It's the blood that defines us. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I am my father's child because it's in the blood. Did you get this right now? It's in the blood. So I am my father's child, therefore my pain cannot stop my praise. Watch, this is my favorite part. So what I tell you, how many people said he's what? Lame, ankles down, paralysis, can't do it, right? Crazy stuff. David says, tell him to get here. See, I'm going to drop the mic and do an old school run right now. Because you would expect, why didn't David go into the hood and find him? David didn't look for him. David said, tell him to get here. Sometimes, even when we're messed up, all we got to do is get there. Are you with me right now? You got to get there. You're saying, Pastor Sam, doesn't Jesus come to us? Well, by faith, he's already there. So you have to get to him here and here. You have to believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. You got to get there. Are you with me? God's not going to put the words in your mouth. You got to get there. I dare you to look at your neighbor and tell him, I don't care how messed up it may be. Tell him, just get there. Tell him, get there. I don't tell him, get there. Listen to me. I don't care if somebody has to push you in. Get there. I don't care if you have to ask somebody for help. Get there. If you have to drag yourself, drag yourself, but get there. My God is big enough. I don't care how you have to get there. Look at the people around you. Tell me, I need you to get me there. If you can't get there yourself, surround yourself with people that will get you there. Because once you get there, everything changes. I tell you to lift up your hands and say, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Did you ever ask for help for people to get you there? Have you been there? Did you ever drag yourself there? So once he got there, 
This is the favorite part. This is my favorite part. Woo! This is what he did. What did I tell you, Brother Sean? He's what again? Yeah. But he, this is crazy. He bowed down. He, he's crippled. He could have said, uh, you know, I know there's protocol. I'm supposed to honor you because you're the king, which is an act of worship and praise to recognizing the sovereignty. But because of my condition, I can't. He never made excuses for him. No, no, no. You, he never said, I can't because of what I'm going through or I can't because of what they did to me. Or by the way, years ago, the nurse dropped me, so I'm going to blame it on someone who did something to me, hence costing my current reality. No, no excuses, no justification. I don't know how he did it. I wasn't there. I don't know what sort of walker he had, what mobility he had. All I know is the Bible says that even though he was lame and invalid and crippled from the ankles down, paralyzed, that boy somehow found the way to get down and bow down and worship the king, praise the king, honor the king. I'm here to tell you that your pain should never stop your praise. I'm going to say that one more time. God is looking for people like Mephibosheth. The people that say, I may be going through hell, but I'm still going to praise you. I may be going through my storm, but I'm still going to worship you. I may be going through my desert, but I'm still going to bow down. Because my pain does not dictate my praise. Is there... Is there anyone here who has praised God with pain? No, 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 no. Is there anyone here who said, even though I'm going through hell, I'm still going to lift up my hands. Even though my bank account is empty, I'm still going to worship you. Even though I'm going through a heartbreak and a relationship breakup, I'm still going to give you all of the glory. Because... My praise is not contingent upon my circumstances. My praise has everything to do that in the midst of what I'm going through, you are king. You are king. I said you are king. You are king on good days and you are king on my bad days. You are, you are king when I'm happy and you are king when I'm sad. You are always king. Therefore, you are always worthy of my praise. Somebody shout to the king. Lift up your hands. Open up your, open up your mouth and say, King Jesus, my praise to you is unconditional. It has nothing to do with what I'm going through or what others did to me. Or what I did to myself. I praise you because you are king. I praise you because you are worthy. I praise you. I praise you because you are Lord of all. So I'm, so I'm, I'm speaking to everyone right now. I, don't, I feel God. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what they did to you. I don't know what you did to yourself. But I assure you, if you give him the glory today, he will restore everything that was lost. He will give you back what was taken away. He will put you in a higher place and see you at the master's table. Somebody give him that kind of praise in this I praise you. Oh, hey.
Little King Jesus. Lift up your hands. Stand with me. You're, you are standing. Those that are not standing, stand with me. I told you it's going to be a quick Father's Day one. My pain cannot stop my praise. There's a place where the king will restore you. There's a place where the king will redeem you. There's a, king, there's a place where the king will reward you. But you have to do one thing. Get there. And once you get there, instead of focusing on what others did to you, she dropped me. How long are you going to How long? How long? How long will you continue to say she dropped me? You're going to die with your epitaph being, she dropped me. No! There has to come a time where you get over the fact that she dropped you. Her dropping you cannot define you. That boy was crippled and he bowed. He said, I do what I do, not because of what they did to me or I did to myself. I praise and worship because of who you are. And I'm not going to hold my praise hostage. I'm not going to hold my worship hostage by what others did to me or what I did to myself. I'm never going to hold my worship back from you. He bowed. You're standing with me. Repeat after me. My pain will not stop my praise. I want you to hear me. Broken people that bow get their breakthrough. Am I preaching right now to anyone in this place? Hurting people that worship receive their miracles. Crippled people that praise end up getting up. So get there and worship. Get there and bow down. Because even in our pain, he is still worthy. All right, all right, all right, all right. We're, we're, we're done, we're done, we're done. Are there any questions? He bows. A crippled man bows. I love this story. It gets me. And David looks at him and says, Oh, you. Never met him before. Didn't even know he was alive. He says, Okay. Okay. Technically speaking, sunshine. I should be calling my security and taking you out. Because legally speaking, you could start challenging me for the throne. I don't have Saul's bloodline. You do. So you should be right now inheriting death. Your inheritance should be... But instead, I'm going to give you everything that belonged to your grandfather. 
he inherited something. He went from the poorhouse to the, I'll be moving on up to the east side. He did. He moved on up like this. Now watch this. He should have inherited, but he didn't. Lift up your hands. I'm here to tell you, fathers and mothers, but fathers, hear carefully. I'm going to repeat this. I am going to reiterate it. Yes. David had grace. Who has bigger grace, David or King Jesus? Because of that, your ch- I'm going to say it again. I don't care. Totally your children will not inherit your sins. Your children will inherit your blessings. Your children will not inherit your failures. Your children will inherit the favor of God upon your life. Your children will not inherit your messes. Your children will inherit your miracles. If you believe that, give God a praise. Somebody worship King Jesus. Yeah. Your children will inherit something awesome. Lift up your hands. I sense God. The the grace of God through Romans 8.15, the adoption of Christ, the grace of God, your children will inherit the beauty and not the brokenness. Your children will not inherit the addictions that held you back. Your children will inherit the anointing that pushed you forward. How many believe that with me? If you believe it, say amen. Lower your hands, look up here, John 1.12. But to all who did receive him, he believed in his name. And who believed in the name of Christ, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 8, 14 through 19. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It is the Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are his children, we are the heirs of God. And fellow heirs with him. Provided that we know that we suffer with him. In order that we may be likewise glorified with him. Done. I am my father's child. If I would bring my father, my physical father up here. You would see the similarities. You would see it. I am my father's child. I can't deny that. Spiritually speaking, you are your father's child. You are not an orphan. You were adopted into eternity through the purchased blood of Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Do you know what this means? You're a child of God. And because you have your father's promises, the blood is on your family. The blood is your greatest asset. That's salvation and grace. The pain will not obstruct your praise. And the final point is, I'm giving you all the land, all the money, all the bank accounts. But that's not any, that, that can't even compare to the biggest privilege. Hey, my people said, you see my table? This is where, this is my house. My house. The king's house. At this table, I only have my kids and my grandkids. Family. And people said, look at me. From now on, 
I need you to prepare that seat right there. Put that seat there. Daddy, who's that for? Just put that seat right there. But we already have all... Shh. Put that seat back. I want you to hear me. That seat will never be moved. Who's that seat for? My people said, come here. From now on, you will sit at the king's table. This is your house. You have a place at this table. I don't know if you know what that means. I need you to look at someone next to you and tell them, hey, I'm at the table. Tell your other neighbor, I have a seat at the table. Tell somebody next to you, through the blood of Jesus, I have a seat at the table. I'm not just anyone. I have a seat at the table. I am seated at the master's table. Are you with me right now? Let the haters hate you, but you have a seat at the master's table. They're not going to be able to explain it, but you have a seat at the master's table. How dare you to say, as for me and my house, we have a seat at the master's table. So I decree, I establish and affirm and release that your crippled days, your lame days, and your broken days are over. I decree and declare from this moment on, you will thrive in the king's house, eating at his table, not as the son or the grandson of a fleshly Saul, but as an adopted child of a holy Jesus. That's God's word for you today. If you receive it, say, it is mine. Look up here. You have your father's promises. You're under the blood of Jesus. Nothing can penetrate the blood. So today, fathers, when you go back home, I'm not making this up. This is not like, is that a, are you speaking figuratively, metaphorically? No. Literally speaking, when you go back home, in the doorpost, the entryway, before you walk in there, just go, the blood of Jesus covers this house. Because the blood trumps everything blood is greater than the brokenness. Did you get this? And do not let any pain obstruct your praise. You don't praise him based on how you are. You praise him based on who he is. So if I would say, George, I want you to sit back there, far away from the table. George, for the rest of your life, when men, when hell, or even yourself, when you tell yourself, go sit back there, I don't care who it is, what it is, you push back and say, no. Jesus paid the price for me and my house to be seated at the king's table. I don't want any family here ever seated anywhere else other than at the king's table. From now on, you will eat at the king's table. You will prosper at the king's table. You will thrive at the king's table, always giving the king all of the glory and all the praise. One more time, give it up for King Jesus.